Good morning, everyone. Open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We're continuing our study of 1 Peter this morning. We're in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, the section that is uh, titled in our Bibles, Husbands, or Wives and Husbands, rather. We began a study of this section last week when we went back to the book of Genesis to see the creation of marriage and how the Lord created husbands and wives to relate to one another. And this week we continue this study of the relationship between husbands and wives, particularly with an eye towards how Christ has brought redemption to this relationship. So let us turn our attention now to God's holy word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to him now in prayer. Father God, we come to you now and we come to your word, for we know that your word cannot be shaken. We know that all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. May we therefore build our lives upon the abiding word of God. And may we seek to believe it in our hearts. And to practice it in our lives. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. The corrupted culture of marriage. That is where we ended last week. As we spent time in the opening chapters of Genesis, we saw that God created the institution of marriage to be a personal union between one man and one Woman, we saw that this union was based first in the equality of value and personhood between men and women, that man and women, they are both of the same flesh, of the same nature. We also saw that they were both created in the image of God. And so their union was based upon the fact that they were created equal before God. Nevertheless, this union also was based upon the distinction of design. For God created man and woman, each with specific design for the role that they were called to play within the marriage relationship. 
And so the wife was specifically designed to be helpmate for her husband and the husband to be the head of his wife. Trustful submission and loving headship was the designed culture of marriage. However, we saw that sin corrupted this relationship. And as soon as sin entered the world, division was brought between husband and wife. And in particular, in Genesis 3.16, we read that the desire of the wife would be contrary to her husband's role of headship and that the husband would seek to rule over his wife instead of lovingly leading And this conflict between husband and wife has played itself out throughout the history of man. For the whole of human experience has reflected the tension of this curse that man would harshly rule over his wife and that a wife would desire to co-opt her husband's role as head. And even in the most loving and caring of relationships, we tend towards these sins. This morning we come all of us, with wounds resulting from the corruption of this relationship. We have all at some level experienced what it means to live in the disunity of men not honoring their wives and wives not submitting to their husbands. We have seen fathers dominate mothers. We've experienced mothers who seek to control fathers. We have lived through divorce. We have been hurt. We have tried to hold on to a relationship only to see our spouse give up. And maybe even today you have come into church barely holding on to a relationship that you know is supposed to be of great comfort and support and fruitfulness, but continually leaves you feeling alone and hurt. How then... Might this corrupted culture of marriage be redeemed? How might we see a restoration of the union between husband and wife that is marked by love and submission? In 1 Peter chapter 1, you can turn over there in your text, probably just one page over, we find the Lord's pattern of redemption. How it is that he seeks to bring redemption to relationships. Starting in verse 17, we read this. Conduct yourselves with fear. Now put that in the back of your mind. That's going to be key as we go forward in our text for this morning. Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. That's the corrupted culture we've been talking about. The sin nature. We have been ransomed from those futile ways, from the corrupted culture, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. It's not perishable things that deliver us from this, but rather with the precious blood of Christ. This is the pattern that God's Word gives to us. How we might see redemption brought to our relationships. That by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are redeemed from the sin-broken relationships that we have inherited from our forefathers. That we might live with proper honor and respect and fear of the Lord. The futile ways inherited from our forefathers that we see there in our text are the sin-broken patterns of life. 
and in particular, the corrupted culture of marriage is playing out the brokenness of the human heart. But we have been set free as Christians from these futile ways. We need no longer live out the consequences of sin and brokenness in the context of our marriages. For through the blood of Jesus Christ, we need no longer submit to sin. And the curse spoken in Genesis 3.16, that the desire of the wife would be contrary to her husband, and that the husband would rule over his wife, has been overcome in Christ Jesus. The disunion that sin caused to the marriage relationship must now bow down to the reality of what we read in Colossians 1.20. That Christ is reconciling all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. How will peace be brought back into our homes, back into our relationships that have been broken by sin? Through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is the reconciliation that we see in our text for this morning. For the Apostle now explains to us how the blood of Christ has redeemed both husband and wife from the corrupted culture of marriage and given to them the blessing of a relationship redeemed by Christ. Now, in verses 1 through 6, Peter outlines for us what it looks like to see the curse reversed in relation to the wife. That is, to see the desire of the wife redeemed by the blood of Christ. As we have seen, the curse of Genesis 3.16 struck at the very heart of a wife's desires. That is, what she longed for within the context of her relationship with her husband. Whereas her created design was to be helpmate to her husband, her corrupt desire was contrary to him. However, the blood of Christ unleashes the wife's desire from sin by first giving her a desire for redeemed headship. Look at verses 1 through 2. There we read, Likewise, wives, Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Here, Peter outlines a situation in which a wife has come to faith in Christ, and yet her husband does not, quote, obey the word of God. As Peter has outlined over the last several verses, he again addresses a Christian who is under the authority of a non-believer. First, he speaks to those under the authority of government. Next, to those who are under the authority of a master. And now to a wife who is under the authority of a husband. And again, Peter says, be subject. That is, seek the place of submission in relationship to your husband. Why? So that your husband might see the conduct of your life and be one to Jesus Christ. When he sees that you seek to affirm him in his role of leader, 
When you do not allow mundane issues to become points of conflict, when you actively seek to take hold of what is important to your husband and seek to see his vision for your family succeed, when he sees that your desire is for him to lead and to lead well, it will draw him to the beauty of Christ. For the redeemed desire of a wife is that her husband would know the Lord Jesus Christ. That He would submit His life unto the Lord and obey the Lord's Word. Do you see what the blood of Christ does in freeing the wife? No longer is her sin-filled desire for her husband to submit to her, but rather for her husband to submit to Christ. That her husband would not obey her word, but that her husband would obey the word of God. The next thing that we see is that a wife redeemed by the blood of Christ seeks not only to see her husband submit to Christ, but that she herself desires Christ-like submission. Look at verses 3 and following. Peter says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. The word adorning appears three times in these verses, as you can see. And it's a word from which we get our English word cosmetics, that is, makeup. Now, I don't think that I'm telling any secrets or speaking out of school when I say that in most households, it takes the wife a little bit longer to get ready in the morning than it does the husband. Now, I'm not sure what all the different creams and lotions and instruments do, but my mom had them, and my wife has them, and I'm sure that my daughters will have them as well. And the application of this takes a lot of time. Because adorning is something that is important to the wife. And what Peter is saying, he is saying that the way that a wife redeemed by the blood of Christ is to adorn herself, isn't primarily through this outward ornamentation, but rather through the beauty of Christ-like submission. In Matthew 11, the Lord Jesus says, Come to Me. He's saying, come to Me. There is something that should be attractive about Jesus Christ to us, that we would come to Him. What is it? He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You see, the blood of Christ redeems the desire of the wife so that she longs to look like Jesus in this particular way. That she would display in relation to her husband a gentleness and quietness of spirit that would display the beauty of Jesus Christ. That her husband would long for her, not because she did her hair the right way. That her husband would long for her, not because she wore the right label of clothing, 
but rather that her attitude of gentleness and humility would be the point of attraction between her and her husband. And oh, how we must begin to actively teach our daughters to adorn themselves in this way. For they are constantly bombarded with images of women who have been adored cosmetically, surgically, and digitally. The futile ways of the world are being clearly communicated to our daughters. And the word that this world speaks to them is that beauty is primarily sexual. But this is a corruption of God's created order. For the true attractive beauty of those redeemed by the blood of Christ is an inner beauty. And therefore, I would call upon you wives to seek time. To spend time adorning yourself in this way. Prayerfully considering how you might attract your husband with your inner beauty of a Christ-like gentleness. A beauty that will not fade away. And I have time because it's the 11 o'clock service. So I'm going to go on. So you get extra stuff at 11. Young men, young men, when, when you are looking for a mate, when you are looking for a potential wife, don't be distracted by all the outward ornamentation. Look for one who has the beauty of Christ. Seek after the beauty of Christ in a potential wife. For that is true and lasting beauty. Alright. And the third way we see the blood of Christ changing the heart of the wife is reorienting her fear. You see, the curse of Genesis 3.16 is not only that the wife would have a contrary desire to her husband, But the curse also is that her husband would rule over her. The blood of Christ not only frees the wife from her unwillingness to submit, but also from her fear of her husband's brokenness. Look at verse 6. There we read, You are her children. That's Sarah's children. Co-heirs of the covenant, as verse 7 will say. We'll get to that in a few moments. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You see, the blood of Christ frees us to do good and to live free from the fear of man. And a wife's submission to her husband is not pleasing to the Lord, nor is it attractive, nor is it healthy to the wife if it is rooted in her fear of her husband. And if you find yourself in a place where you are submissive and you are quiet because your husband is dominating, that is not God's design for your relationship. As an heir of the covenant of grace, as a daughter of Sarah, as a child born of God, as a citizen of the heavenly country, you should not live in fear of any man any longer. Submission within the context of marriage is meant to be free and it is meant to be willing. It is never meant to be a stifling of personhood, but rather a joyful embrace of God's design, a faith 
faith-filled path that believes submission to God's established authorities is what leads to the most fruitful and joyful life for everyone in your family. For the wife redeemed by the blood of Christ has been freed from the fear of man and she fears and honors God alone. Her husband is her earthly head, but ultimately she bows to one Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she submits according to His command and fears the Lord alone. For even as Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is the beauty of a redeemed desire, a willing Christ-like submission that fears the Lord alone. Alright, so we've dealt with what Peter says to wives. Husbands, now it's your turn. Even as Peter explains how the blood of Christ has renewed the broken desire of the wife, he also explains how the blood of Christ renews the husband's honoring of his wife. For the corrupted culture of marriage described in Genesis 3.16 and played out in the futile ways of our forefathers is that the husband would seek to rule over his wife. That is, that the husband would use the difference of design and role as leverage to treat his wife as less than an equal image bearer of God. Did you get that? The husband would look at the fact that there is a difference, that there is a distinction in the design and role that has been given to his wife in comparison to himself, and he would use that difference as leverage to treat her less than an equal image bearer of God. Yet the blood of Christ has redeemed this brokenness so that the husband would properly honor his wife. The first way that we see that the blood of Christ redeems a husband's honor of his wife is in the way he treats his wife in her role of submission. Look at the first half of verse 7. There we read, Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, one of the distinguishing differences between men and women, as we all know, is the generally superior physical strength that is given to men. By design, men are larger, stronger than their female counterparts. And this strength is not given to coerce, and to intimidate, but rather to protect and to honor. Peter says that the husband is to be understanding in relationship to his wife's weaker status. That is, a husband should be mindful that in this relationship he has been given strength so that his wife might be honored well. With the privilege of strength comes the responsibility of care. And yet, to be understanding we must also see that the weakness of the woman is not a negative attribute. You see, we live in a world and a culture that would balk at the idea of saying that the woman is the weaker vessel with an understanding that it is power that makes one great. 
But the New Testament teaches us that weakness is not a negative virtue or not a negative aspect, but is a positive virtue of dependence upon God. It is our weakness that the strength of the Lord is made manifest in. And to be mindful and understanding of our wives as a weaker vessel is to be mindful that she very well may be perceptive of spiritual truth that we are blind to as men. Is this not what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12 about the differing roles within the body of Christ? There we read, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, get this, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. You see, the redeeming work of the blood of Christ renews the mind in such a way that the husband sees clearly that his wife in her role of submission is indispensable to the body in which he has been called. Weakness is not something to be taken advantage of, nor to be mocked, nor to be scorned or taunted. But rather, husbands are to think of how they might bring greater honor to their wives. For the specific role that God has given them within your relationship. The husband must honor the redeemed submission of his wife as indispensable to their marriage. You see, husbands, we think to wear eye protection when we use a chainsaw, right? Because a little bit of sawdust can fly up into your eye. And the eye needs to be protected and you might think well it's not that big of a deal i can handle it but as soon as a little bit of sawdust as i found out gets into your eye you realize how indispensable your eyes are you might think that it's your strength that's cutting that tree down but without your eye you can do nothing and husbands we need to think think how you might be missing out on the indispensable blessing of your wife because you are not willing to honor her as God has called you to honor her. And so just as I called the women to pray how they might adorn themselves with the inner beauty of Christ, husbands, think Think, how might I better honor my wife and respect what she brings to this relationship? Not thinking that I have the answer to everything, but understanding she is perceiving things that you are completely blind to and are indispensable to your life together. The next thing that we see is that the blood of Christ makes the husband not only mindful of the beauty of the differences between us, but also of his wife's equality with him in Christ. 
Look at the next half of verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. The phrase translated heirs with you is a is one word and it means co-heirs. And husbands must see that God has bestowed upon their wives the highest honor and privilege that he can give. For he has elected women just as he has elected men to be heirs of the covenant. The covenant that was sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of the spotless lamb was poured out to make wives citizens of the heavenly country. To put their names on the deed of heaven. Whatever inferior place we may have assigned to the nature of women in the past due to their differences of design and role must be jettisoned in light of their equality with us in Christ. We must see that as one created in the image of God and redeemed by the blood of Christ, she has been given the right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Is this not what Galatians 3 is teaching when it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring Heirs according to the promise. You see, this doesn't mean that there aren't still real and true differences between these groups. There are people that still have Jewish heritage and still have Greek heritage. There remains those who have economic authority and those who do not. And there continues to be men and women with different yet complementary designs. But the point that is being made is that in Christ Jesus, these differences do not affect our right to an inheritance. Our blood-bought right to become heirs of the promise. And husbands, you must be mindful of this truth. You must understand that you have been given a great privilege to lead your wife. For the redeeming work of Christ will make us honor our wives as co-heirs of the covenant. And the Lord has put under your care and authority one of His children. You better treat her with honor. Fathers who have daughters, I think, understand what I'm saying here. As you look to the future of when your little girl will get married, you want a husband who will honor your daughter. And when the Lord is instructing husbands about how they are to treat these these women, He's saying, they are my children, so you better treat them right. And the end of verse 7 tells us why. Peter says there, we must honor our wives so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see, just as wives are to submit to their husbands out of a proper fear of the Lord alone, so too are husbands to honor their wives out of a proper fear of the Lord. If you look down at verse 12, we see what Peter has in mind here in relation to prayer and why it is that your prayers might be hindered. Just a few verses down, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer, but... The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
If you mistreat your wife, don't you dare come asking the Lord to bless you. If you mistreat one of his children, don't then go to his throne of grace and say, pour out your grace upon me. The Lord is saying, love your wife, honor your wife. And if you go against my command to honor her, don't expect that you are going to receive blessings from me. We honor our wives out of a proper respect for the Lord. You see, ultimately, our honoring of our wives is an honoring of the Lord. For He has made them in His own image. And to sin against them and to treat them as not equal is to sin against the image of God within them. Redeemed headship is understanding that the created differences between husband and wife are there for our good. And the redemptive equality of our wives should cause us to treat them as co-heirs in Christ. Now, no marriage in this world is ever going to be a perfect reflection of what is laid out here in 1 Peter. There will never be a husband that honors his wife the way that he should. Nor a wife that submits to her husband as the word of God calls her to. Both husbands and wives bring to the relationship continuing remnants of their old broken nature and must continually run to Christ for forgiveness and power to move forward in this relationship. Yet we must continue to strive to love and to respect each other. For the stakes are much higher than marital bliss. The meaning is much more than having an understanding husband or a wife of inner beauty. Rather, the main purpose is for the glory of Christ and a witness to the power of His redeeming blood. When April and I were married, we asked the minister to read Ephesians chapter 5 to remind us of this true purpose of marriage. For when a husband loves and honors his wife, it reveals how Christ has loved his church and a wife submits to her husband, it reveals how the church is to love her Lord and Savior. And so I'll leave you with these words. For I know that my words cannot touch every place of brokenness in a marriage and that they are weak in and of themselves. But the Word of God will direct us exactly where He desires us to go. The highest purpose of a redeemed marriage. The glory of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that refers to Christ and the church. May the Lord give to us grace to love one another in such a way, the way that Christ loved the church, the way the church is to love Christ, that His name may be glorified. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. Father God, we simply ask that you would apply to us the truth of your word, and that by the blood of Christ, we might see the redemption of relationships, that we might see Christ in the way that Christian husbands and Christian wives treat one another. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.